This is the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast, episode 156. I'm Joel Hollingsworth, and I am with Will Shelton. Will, uh, what was that? <laughs> did it work the second right. time, too? This is take two. So right. I, I both yeah. did the same joke twice, but hey. Yeah, no, yeah. no, it's it's still, uh, I will say that even in two takes, Joel's intro is more uh, peppy than you thought it was going to be. <laughs> and uh, I will say again that... Uh, after the BYU game, I, I felt, you know, we wrote about, listen, you just need to embrace this is this is where Tennessee is. We're really probably not doing ourselves any favors holding on to all of the past and all that stuff. And just, this is bad. And it's going to be bad for a little bit here and let's just embrace it. And I thought that that would create a more pleasurable viewing experience, uh, no matter what happened with the Gators. Mm-hmm. Uh, but And I wrote this, uh, this, this morning, uh, Monday morning, that... Tennessee, there was a long stretch of that game that was seven to nothing, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, like long time wise, because we had to review everything and, and all that stuff. And even though obviously the Gators end up winning by 31 and Tennessee, there's not really a version of, of that game where you could talk yourself into Tennessee winning or, or, you know, driving to tie or something in the fourth quarter. So much of the stuff that seems to happen to Tennessee from right away with a bogus penalty in a dead ball situation that wasn't a dead ball situation to the self-inflicted stuff to just for the second time in a row in Gainesville getting within a, a hair of the end zone and then finding impossible ways to not get into the end zone. Uh, it was still really frustrating, <laughs> and uh, I, I bet it was. If you're listening to this podcast, I bet it was for you too. And so, um, I feel like we got the worst of of all worlds, where not only did Tennessee lose to the Gators by 31, we did it with a bunch of dumb, self-inflicted stuff along the way. A game that had seven turnovers in it uh, combined, and and just. Uh, uh, hard to feel much better about much of anything uh, in, in that whole process. So, yeah, that even being braced for bad and, and uh, the first two games of the season, I think, helping with that, the dumb stuff that Tennessee does against Florida uh, continues to be every bit as frustrating, at least for me, as it has ever been. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny. They, they did the impossible again. They went into a game uh, where they basically had – it was like the first time in forever – that they went into the Florida game without any expectations and they still, you know, somehow failed to live up to those no expectations. Right. Um, the thing is, I thought that, um, I know they made mistakes, um, but it, it didn't seem that it was that the mistakes were really the problem. I, it seemed to me like they just got beat. Um, I guess, do you see it differently? Cause I mean, you did mention all the mistakes, but do you think that, uh, even absent the, the mistakes that it would have been a better game? It didn't seem like it I, would have been to me. I, I think, uh, we have to separate it out on, on both sides of the ball. I think defensively, uh, we need to give the defensive line credit. I, I didn't do a good enough job of this. I didn't do this at all. in what I wrote, uh, they did a good job stopping the run. I think they they did that well. They took a game plan that Kentucky had used against those guys, and they've got a backup quarterback in there. So uh, the the concerns that we had after Georgia State and after last year of anybody's just going to get whatever they want running the ball against this team, not true. 
Uh, so kudos to that. And, you know, Florida's got talent. They've got talented running backs, that sort of stuff. So good job uh, on that front. I think what is still uh, abundantly clear about this defensive line is they can't get pressure on the quarterback by themselves, period. Bad offensive line at Florida just didn't seem to matter. And, like, I'm not, I'm not mad about that. I'm not frustrated about that. That's just – that's who Tennessee is. And that is probably who Tennessee is going to be at least the rest of this year. So if you want to get to the quarterback, you're going to need to send pressure. And if you're going to do that, you're going to need to be better on the back end. And yeah, I mean, Kyle Trask is, you know, you're, you're flirting with 10 plus yards per attempt against Tennessee's defense because he's just got all day to throw and Tennessee doesn't have the guys to cover one-on-one. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe less of an issue when you're playing say, South Carolina now or Kentucky or Vanderbilt or Mississippi state. But in a game like that, I mean, it just wasn't, it was, it was basically pick your poison over the course of the game. You cannot blitz and get picked apart or you can blitz and really not get to him either way and, and still give up one-on-one stuff. Offensively to me was the, all the self-inflicted stuff. A lot of it's Garantano to be sure. Um, but just just dumb stuff uh, the and, and excruciatingly frustrating stuff. Even the Eric Gray fumble when it's twenty four to three, you're like, okay, can we you know can we at least be feisty? Can we at least maintain some interest and some investment? And uh, that didn't didn't work either. It, it reminded me a little of you were talking about not having any expectations. The the one uh, what was that now six years ago the first Butch Jones year when they go to Oregon and they get decimated by Marcus Mariota and then they go to Gainesville and you're like well whatever and they play Peterman and they get a pick six in the first 10 minutes another one of those things that never happen against Florida sorts of things and then Peterman does all that stuff that even it's a game that Tennessee's never going to win it was excruciating just watching them shoot themselves in the foot over and over so uh, defensively I think yes Tennessee just got beat and the problems that are there are not going to go away Uh, offensively I mean, nobody knows really what the answer here is with Garantano, but there was so much just, you know, foot shooting offness about Tennessee's <laughs> offense that uh, it was it was very much like I say, every bit as frustrating as as any other time against those guys. So I think um, this is this is going to be painful. Um, so I think we need to take it in small doses. So I'm going to take a quick timeout here. All right. So we don't, you know, we'll get back to all of the all of the stuff. But I wanted to ask you, I, I had no idea what to say after the game. Uh, basically, me trying to put words together was kind of like trying to hit Dom Wood Anderson on a wide open touchdown play. It just wasn't happening for me. <clears throat> right. So I, I defaulted to I basically wrote a post about Little House on the Prairie is, is right. what I did. That's how, I, that's how I dealt with it. Right. <laughs> so as part of this time out. Um, do you have a, uh, a favorite TV show that, uh, you're going to force on your children because they have no choice at some point from, from your childhood, a favorite childhood TV show? Uh, I, I already have, uh, my son is getting ready to turn two this week and, uh, he loves, uh, like Superman, Batman, all that stuff. And the, the old school ones. Well, that's what I was getting ready to say is he, um, it's so weird raising a child in an on-demand 
universe when you didn't grow up in it, you know, of, of like, oh, I can just say Batman into my remote. And he has learned he can just say Batman into the remote and Batman will appear on the television with lots of options to buy versions of that for fourteen ninety nine or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you but be careful uh, with that. Yeah. No, yeah. I, yes, we've, we've, we learned from, a, we came in the room one day and, uh, what is the movie? Uh, Deepwater Horizon, that movie. Oh. Uh, was playing and Alex and I saw it in the theater. It's a fine movie. It's not the sort of movie you want to watch twice, but I was like, is this just on? No, he bought it. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then he bought an episode of the television show turn. <clears throat> so it's twice to learn, but yes, now okay. there's a rental passcode on the purchases. But um, anyway, I, uh, I do have uh, on DVD. I have the, uh, I bought it years ago. The, the Batman animated series from the early nineties when I was in middle school uh, that where uh, Mark Hamill does the voice of the Joker and all that good stuff. So, oh. uh, we some of those are not uh, <laughs> two year old appropriate, but uh, just to kind of change up the Batman variety, I have uh, I have put that on there, and I do have the old Adam West Batman. Uh, I'm looking at the DVD to it right now, actually the uh, the old Adam West uh, Bang Pow yes. Batman uh, stuff as well. So yes, there's that's. That was in heavy rotation in our household uh, before uh, things things went bad on the football front. That's the one I remember that Adam West stuff when I was little. That was that was yep. awesome. Um, speaking of of your children uh, navigating the internet, um, you know, just basically getting behind the wheel for a joyride. When Omi was, man, she'd only been home with us maybe a couple of years, maybe even a year. So she must have been three or four. And uh, all of a sudden, I mean, I think Angela gave her or Angela stood up from the computer and uh, Omi was just like pushing buttons. And it wasn't 60 seconds later that she was on an Asian dating website. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, you got to be careful. Those kids, man. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So anyway, all right. Now I feel better. Uh, But let's get back to Florida. Uh, I was... Okay, you were actually complimentary of the defensive line, um, at least against as, the run. Against yes. the run, right? So, because as I was trying to figure out what really went wrong, I was thinking, okay, you know, we got a we had a, a suspect offensive line. They had a suspect offensive line. We have a suspect defensive line, and I think the difference was that there's their defensive line was actually a decent SEC defensive line. So, you know, they could, they could do to our offense what we didn't want to have done. And then our defensive line was basically the problem on defense for us because they couldn't, as you said, they, they couldn't rush um, by themselves, which meant that you had to bring blitzes. I think generally we brought blitzes from uh, the linebackers, which left the middle of the field wide open the whole time. Right. And I think maybe at one point we we probably started rushing corners, but by that time I was just dazed and confused. Uh, so who knows? But I think that was basically the big problem. Did um, do you, you you already mentioned that that's kind of what we're going to have to deal with um, the rest of the year? But is there anything we can do besides um, just hoping we don't play teams like? Uh, Missouri and Alabama. 
It's it's a good question. I mean, I, I just don't know. This is one of the most frustrating things about what's happening right now is normally uh, this is the point where you would say, let's just play all the young guys, but a lot of those guys are already playing. Mm-hmm. So um, Pruitt has recruited this well for 2020. Uh, if, if Tennessee's able to hold on to, to their current commitments, uh, two of their top four highest-rated commitments right now are defensive linemen. So uh, you've you've got some some positive outlook for the future. Obviously, you're going to get Emmett Gooden back next year as well. Uh, but I mean, it, it's it's just not there, and this is the wrong conference for that problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I just think that uh, you know when we go back and look at at uh, sack totals. Tennessee's whole decade here is is uh, Derek Barnett is is the outlier, but really changed the whole conversation about how we view Tennessee's pass rush for three years there. Um, but outside of one elite, you know, NFL playmaking defensive end, Tennessee hasn't had those guys. Just I mean, just has not had those guys on the defensive line for. A very long time now, and and they've recruited some of them well. I mean, yeah, Khalil McKenzie is is Exhibit mm-hmm. A for this. Of you get the guy you think is going to make the biggest difference, and it just hasn't happened. Those guys have not been developed. And uh, Tuttle too. Yeah, Shy Tuttle, and uh, you know, there's a version of Shy Tuttle you'd like to see if he doesn't get just a, a gruesome injury against Georgia a couple of years ago. Uh, but that's a guy that still is is on an NFL roster. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so I, is that particular problem going to get better as the year goes on? For for upperclassmen, for guys like Daryl Taylor uh, in this mix, and I know Taylor's playing more of what we consider outside linebacker in this defense, but there's there's a lot of those names, those upperclassmen names that you're just kind of like, if the light hasn't come on for these guys, or maybe the light did come on and it's just not as bright as we wanted it to be. They're just not as talented as you were hoping they would be. Uh, there's, I, I just, I just don't know, uh, how it's going to get a whole lot better this year. Um, before we even begin to talk about, is somebody going to get hurt? Is, is, uh, the quality of this line play going to improve week to week or is it going to be, this is as good as it is now. And then they get beat up as the year goes on. Uh, I just, I just don't know, but, um, an inability to affect the quarterback is just one of a thousand things that'll get you killed against Alabama and Georgia and, and maybe Missouri. Um, but it is a thing that makes playing a team like Florida, that's uh, Florida with a backup quarterback. When you're going up against other quarterbacks in the SEC that are on teams that are still winnable games for Tennessee, South Carolina, Mississippi State, all that stuff, if you can't affect a, a lesser quarterback into bad decision-making, you're going to make those guys comfortable. And, I mean, we saw it. Trask was comfortable. I mean, when was he uncomfortable in that game on Saturday? So uh, I'm, the ingredients that Tennessee is going to need to beat teams better than them left on their schedule, Mississippi State, Kentucky, um, affecting court, shaky quarterbacks is, is on that list. And I, I'm, I'm just not sure how good Tennessee is going to be at that all year. I'm assuming you haven't seen uh, the sports source – um, yet this week, no, I have not. Um, I haven't had a chance to watch it. Will Overstreet said something I thought was really interesting. He was really frustrated with the defensive line, primarily due to the fact that he said 
these guys don't have any moves except engaging with the guy in front of them and trying to push him back. They got no moves. You know, they're, they're not trying to get around him. They don't have a swim move or whatever the defensive line moves that you are that you use to get around your blocker. They're just not trying to get around their guys. I just thought that was really interesting. I, I don't know if they're taught that way because, you know, I think in some schemes what you're supposed to do is just um, occupy that guy so the linebackers of have free gaps, you know. Um, but anyway, he was really frustrated by that. He said uh, Daniel Batuli was the best, best pass rusher that we had. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, I'll, I think that's the uh, on the worst case. Like even now, there's always a worse version of of what's happening and that sort of stuff. Somewhere on the worst case scenario list is oh, all these defensive coaches and all these guys really don't have a whole lot of practice not dealing with elite talent. So, you know, do they have the skill set? Is it the same skill set or do they have the skill set to say, all right, while we're waiting on the four- and five-star guys to get here, can we turn three-star talent into meaningful difference making you know kinds of guys in the sec and i don't know yeah all right uh quarterback um on the change at uh halftime number one were you surprised that they pulled garantano and put in mauer and uh did you did you like it uh yes i was surprised i only because I, I believed those guys, and, and not just those guys. I believed everybody that that covers this team, uh, that knows a whole lot about what's going on over there, what's actually going on over there, than, than you and I do, that said, hey, no, like, Garantano really is the best option. And, and I just know from the recruiting set that really Harrison Bailey that's coming in next year is, is kind of – the anointed one here or, or whatever. So we'll, we'll see about that. But so, yeah, it's, it surprised me as poorly as he played in the first half. Um, you're down 17 to nothing. You're not down 27 to nothing or something like that. You were going to get the ball. Um, uh, it, it, some plays were there, you know, obviously Cheney had, had drawn up some stuff that was working if it was executed correctly. So uh, I just, I just believe that Garantano still gave him the best chance to win. Um, I think it does speak to some concerns. Uh, my assumption is that it speaks to some concerns about what's going on between the ears for Garantano that, that just, um, the miscues, not just the wide open missed touchdown on Wood Anderson, the, the miscues on swing passes, which has haunted Tennessee from the second play of the season and, and, uh, is a culprit in that loss to Georgia state, um, I think that there is some concern there among those guys that he just is, is not right and might not get right uh, in this system. Um, I, I liked Maurer for the same reason everybody likes the backup quarterback, which is it made me interested. It made me more interested in what was happening. Um, and that's kind of the, the point that we're at is let's see what this kid can do. Uh, I like the confidence. Uh, he, you know, he got away with a, the, the Billy don't be a hero throw. He got away with that uh, on an opening drive. Without throwing an interception, the interception he did throw was a was a, a batted ball sort of thing. So, um, 
I don't know. I, again, can they develop quarterbacks? Cheney can. We've seen that. And Cheney can do reclamation, too. But um, then when they put Garantano back in the game, it made me think, okay, did they just do this whole thing to try to wake him up, to shake him up? Um, do you want to this, – this is the big uh, – to me, the most interesting topic of conversation right now in terms of this particular team is – do you just go ahead and roll Brian Maurer out there and let him go against Georgia, Mississippi State, and Alabama? Or do you wait, uh, which is what Wes Rucker was advocating, wait until South Carolina and let him take that backstretch uh, sort of thing? And everybody says, well, you know, Dobbs went in. Dobbs didn't have a choice. <laughs> At that yeah. point in time, uh, what's his name? Oh, man, I almost forgot his name. Riley Ferguson was, was secretly hurt, right? We didn't know that. And uh, it was either Dobbs or Peterman at that point in time. So, you know, there was no choice other than to play Josh Dobbs uh, against that gauntlet. Given the option, I think you wait. It's what they did with Tyler Bray uh, in, in 2010 is, is put him in there in the back half. So, and it's different again. You, Bray, you knew Bray was going to be your guy in the years ahead. I don't know that they feel that way about Maurer. And again, remember, Garantano is a redshirt junior. Technically, he could play next year. Uh, it, it's who knows what to expect with all this now. You know, I, I, people have made the point, and, and there's some worth to it that man, Garantano looks like a guy that could use a graduate transfer. You know, that that yeah. could that could use a fresh start somewhere. Uh, and plenty of other folks have benefited from that. And and man, God bless him if that's what he wants to do now. But um, I, it just made me interested in the ways that playing a backup quarterback makes anyone interested it didn't make me you know particularly feel better about tennessee's chances going forward what do you think i mean do you do you play him now against georgia do you i, I don't ask having any particular answer to this i just uh, i think it's an interesting conversation uh to answer the question i think you go with garantano i think you uh, try to find the uh, jonathan crompton magic um i think for well I, I got several other topics here and i think as we walk through them it will it will make sense gotcha. why, why i'm thinking that a um, couple of points just on the change right now though quick is that the team had more juice when mauer came in but i don't know whether that was juice because of mauer or because of the butt chewing they probably got at uh, halftime so you, you can't really know why they had a higher level of energy but i will say too that I'm beginning to wonder whether Garantano is the right personality that this team needs right now. He's like the super calm, chill dude, which can be effective on a team that's doing well, but a team that needs energy, maybe not, you know? And then also, um, it seems like it, it, you know, some of this reading between the lines and some of these articles and some of these interviews that maybe part of his challenge um, is sort of confidence and insecurity um, and um, getting um, sort of beaten by prior mistakes, you know? Um, and I, you know, I, I can see why that would be. You almost can't blame the guy. I mean, he's had three years of, of trouble on Rocky top, you know? Um, and so, you know, I, I really don't blame him for that, but it's, it's not something that's going to help the team. If when he makes a mistake, if he starts hanging his head 
and and nobody feels confident um, from being around him anymore, you know. But that said, yanking him, um, and then with with the intent of putting him back in back in later, for a guy whose main problem is confidence, that doesn't seem like the right move. Yeah, you know. So I still think that just because we've seen Maurer, we've seen Shrout, those guys might be fine in the future, but they're not right now. I still think the best opportunity is Garantano, and I still think he can do it. There, I remember, uh, I think we had a podcast with probably Spencer and Holly Anderson both on it, and I, I want to say I remember Holly saying something about Crompton will never be any good because he can't throw an eight-yard screen pass. If you throw an eight-yard screen pass into the ground, you're just a terrible quarterback and you will never be anything but a terrible quarterback. And I don't know whether I said it or whether I was just thinking it, but I think is when, when everything's going wrong, nothing's going right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can trip up the stairs. It doesn't mean you can't walk up the stairs, right? Just something was going wrong at the time. Maybe you were thinking about something else. And then I think we did see it later. It was Cheney at that point, right? With Crompton? Yes, yeah. Okay, so so with Crompton, he he was he was terrible. Um it was a new coordinator, which I'm going to get to in a minute. Um and they figured something out and he got effective toward the end of the season. So you got to find, I think that is the path to some degree of success for this season. Figure out how Garantano can be his best on this team this year. That's what I want to see. So um, coordinators, we've talked, we've touched on this several different times. I uh, think we have uh, mis uh, or underestimated the challenge of a new coordinator, and we got two new co- two new coordinators this year. And I'm working on a post for this, and because my memory is not very good, I have to do research. But I'm going to test yours because I know you actually have a good memory. Okay, so I'm nervous now. Okay, so here it comes. 2008. Fulmer's been there forever. Chavis, defensive coordinator, been there forever. He gets a new offensive coordinator in Dave Clawson. Whole thing comes unglued. Fulmer gets fired. Right? So then we got a whole new coaching staff, the coaching Camara in 2009. And it takes them several games to figure it out. I don't remember what the, how the defense was right out of the gate that year. Do you remember? Uh, well, great because they were playing a terrible UCLA team, uh, and then against the Gators, uh, someone was talking about this in the comments on one of our pieces this past week, where Kiffin took the air out of the ball in that game, and Urban Meyer took the shot at him in the post game about not actually trying to win the game, which is a little true. Uh, but um, and then they were they were okay against Auburn. Uh, that was like twenty six to twenty two that Tennessee lost the game to Auburn before the the Crompton magic hit uh, the following week against Georgia. And then they were really good the rest of the year when they weren't playing uh, McCluster at Ole Miss or uh, one of the most underrated Virginia Tech teams of all time that finished third in S&P Plus that year. Uh, so 
I, you know, pretty good. I thought with Monty Kiffin. Okay. Um, but the offense, um, struggled for at least several games. Um, okay. So 2010 Kiffin's gone. You got Dooley, you got a whole brand new staff. Um, I don't even remember who is, was it, was Will Cox, his first defensive coordinator? Yep. Yep. Okay. And his first offensive. Wait, are you sure we don't want this guy to just be our head coach higher? You're like, (laughs) are you sure he's not more qualified than Derek Dooley? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who was the offensive coordinator for Dooley first time around first year? Still Chip Cheney kept him. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you had some continuity there. Um, was the offense any good? In 10, yeah. uh, that was, so in 10, that's Matt Sims for the first, uh, until South Carolina, uh, when they brought in Bray and then almost won the game and then Bray, you know, feasted on the back end of that schedule. I will also point out about 2010, you still got some former players rolling around in there. Denarius Moore, Gerald Jones, uh, these guys on offense still, still floating around in there. And then you had uh, Dayrick and Justin Hunter were freshmen. So okay. uh, offense offense looked great when playing lesser competition with stud freshman quarterback at the end of the year. Okay. Uh, 2011 comes. When did Wilcox bolt after his first year or second year? After the second year, after they lost to Kentucky, and it looked like Dooley was not going to make it. Okay. So Wilcox – 2011 defense. So you had continuity in 10 and 11, okay. but Ray and Justin Hunter get hurt uh, in the first five games of the season. And then your defense has to go against Alabama, LSU and Arkansas who are elite teams without any sort of offense to back it up. Okay. Uh, 2012 Wilcox leaves duly hires Sal Sanceri, um, which doesn't work. Right. Um, and uh, I think the offense was good that year, right? It was still Cheney? Still Cheney, Bray. Oh, yeah, all yeah. those guys that scored 30. That's what I used to tell Georgia fans when they were worried about hiring Jim Cheney. Is I was like, look, it's not his fault. He's, it's something like they scored more than 35 points eight times and gave up more than 35 points eight times. Yeah. So yeah. it's not his fault. Yeah. That was all sincere. Yeah. So he got uh, duly fired. Um, and then the whole, the whole team leaves because Butch Jones brings in the best coaching staff in America from Cincinnati. <laughs> right. 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 I'm, I'm sorry. I stole your joke. I, I still, I stole it from, uh, Jay, uh, back in the, in the Rocky top talk days. That is, uh, that's Jay's joke. Uh, Jay with copyright. four wise. Jay. No, uh, Jay, Jay Brantner. Oh, okay. All right. Innocence. I, I, that is like he made that joke in the press conference. So that is a day one joke from Jay, and uh, he should get credit for it. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Um, so that, okay, we're talking 20, what, 13, 14 13. now? Thir- 13 is Butch's first year, yeah. Okay, so we got, uh, I don't even remember, defense was John Jancic. John Jancic, okay. And you had Mike, Mike Bajakian running Bajakian. the offense. Okay, all right. How long did those guys uh, last? Uh, so Bajakian leaves after two years, and then in 15 you get uh, Jancic is still the defensive coordinator, but you bring in Mike DeBoard uh, at the start of the 2015 season. Okay. So you had two, two years, same as Dooley. The first two years you had the same offensive and defensive coordinators. Okay. 
Um, and then we had those two guys for, uh, no, Jancic then left after his third year, uh, was asked to leave, right? Asked to leave after, uh, yeah, there's, there's some off the field stuff probably going on there. Okay. He's after the Outback Bowl, uh, leaves and we get, uh, Bob Shoup. Super excited about Bob Shoup. Indeed. Didn't work. Uh, Bad least... fit, as they would say. Bad fit? <laughs> okay. With Butch Jones. I, yeah, bad yeah. bad fit. Yes. Okay. Uh, did the offensive coordinator change that year? It was it was DeBoard. No, still still DeBoard. Okay. He actually did pretty good. Did he do well in his uh, first year, too? Uh, <laughs> what I'm... is your definition of doing well? Uh, I would in in fif- 15 is... We're not going to let Dobbs throw it a whole lot. And we're going to be perfectly content to, uh, for instance, beat Missouri like 19 to 8 uh, and and be very okay with that. Okay. Uh, we're we're going to infamously get in trouble for going conservative against Oklahoma and Florida and be tagged uh, that way for the rest of our career. And, and being down whatever, 24 to 3 and not getting aggressive until you had to. Uh, so I think, I think that was the big question of that off season going into 16 when everyone was so excited about us is would, are you going to let him throw? Can you, can you win this whole thing? Can you win the sec? Can you win a national championship being risk management, uh, on, on the offensive side of things? So September, 2016 was the best month of Tennessee football in the last decade. Would, would I thought you were of my life. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was awesome. We had the Battle of Bristol. It was. Uh, we, yep. we beat Florida. We beat Georgia. It doesn't get any better than that. We should have just quit right then. We should have retired. Just retire the program. Are you still there? <laughs> I, I, I have. I hung up because the podcast was not going to get any better either. No, yeah, I mean that, that's that's. There's a whole uh, alternate universe. There, there are a number of alternate universes with Butch Jones, where if one or two things goes differently, then his tenure looks a lot different. But yeah, I mean, he winning. Um, you know, I, I think we have to give. We have to note the Appalachian State game in there because in the moment that that hung around through Bristol, a game, as we talked about last week, where Virginia Tech put it on the ground six times, so Tennessee did what you do when a team does that six times. But then the Florida game, you know, and then the end of the Georgia game changed all that narrative. And even Texas A&M, to almost beat a team when you turn it over, what, six or seven times? Mm. Uh, You know, there was still that that sense. And I thought even Alabama – so many guys got hurt in that Texas A&M game. Even the Bama game, I was at that Bama game, uh, getting beat the way we did. To me, it was still easy to say, okay, number one, I picked Tennessee in that game, uh, but I thought that a lot of those guys that got hurt would come back and play, Danny O'Brien and uh, like Cortez McDowell and some other guys that did not. And so you just get hammered. But you think, all right, we got the bye week. We're going to win the East, uh, all that, all that stuff. Uh, and we'll get another shot at these guys. And maybe, you know, the second time around, we can do something different. Uh, and then uh, South Carolina and, yeah, all of that. Okay, so 2016, though, the, the beginning of the season, uh, Butch was in his, what, third year? Fourth year. Fourth year. 
Um, Shoop was in his second, right? Shoop was his first year. Oh, that was the first year for Shoop? Yep. Oh. Okay. Um, and then the offense coordinator was who in 16? DeBoard still. Second year, third year. Second year for DeBoard. Second year for DeBoard. Okay. Um, so some continuity, um, except on defense. Um, okay, so then 2017, Shoop was still there, right? But we went to what, Larry Scott on right, offense? Right, the board retired. Right. And then one of his been more with his family is in Indiana, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we lost some uh, continuity on offense uh, there in 2017. Um, but it really fell apart before then, anyway. Huh. Yes. Interesting. Okay. So then uh, Pruitt comes on board, um, brand new coaching staff. And then his second year, he changed both of his coordinators. Correct. Though the previous defensive coordinator is, I mean, those guys are sharer is still on the staff. Um, he's just not the defensive coordinator anymore. Yeah. I wonder how much has changed there though. Um, I think the plan was to change more than maybe he has. It seems like he's sort of back to column plays. Um, I don't know. Okay. Well, I'll see what I can make of all that stuff, but even if it's not like a uh, direct correlation, that's a lot of discontinuity among the coordinator positions over the course oh, yeah. of how many ever years that is. And that's got to be part of the problem. So, yeah, I mean, it was, as you noted at the start of all that, it was the original problem. And, and to me, still to this day, I mean, Dave Clawson is, is what Dave Clawson is most responsible for Philip Fulmer getting fired. Yeah, uh, and and since then you've only had two years, year one and two for uh, Dooley, and year one and two for Butch Jones, where you had the same offensive and defensive coordinators uh, for for two year stretches. So, uh, okay, yeah, it's problematic. All right, so and this may be hard for you to uh, admit or concede, but <laughs> would it be accurate to say that most of these guys? have actually had success elsewhere when they've had time. We're talking about the coordinators yeah. again now? Yeah, start with Clawson. I know it's the hard one for you. Well, Cla- I mean, Clawson, that's his whole thing, right, is that yeah. it takes time. I mean, that's right. that's been a joke uh, for for forever. So, yeah. uh, and, and let me say, to be fair, uh, people – uh, I, I have gotten more emails about negative things I've said about Dave Clawson than just about anyone, every, anything I've said about anyone else. Uh, I think he deserved <laughs> his, his 2008 at Tennessee deserves to be called for what it is, but that dude is winning some games at Wake Forest, which is uh, one of the hardest places to win. Uh, I think in, in power five. So, and he's doing yeah. it with offense. I mean, he, he's putting up some points. Yeah. His, his yeah. whole thing and said it on the front end is that this system is going to take time to install that's what happened at Bowling Green, and that's what happened to you know his first Wake team is one of the worst offenses in the history of college football. Um, but if you look at um, there's a site Bill Connolly tweeted this out where there's a, a site that's taken his SP Plus data and and grafted over time not just the overall rankings but the offense. Yeah. If you take a I, I'll tweet this out. If you take a look at that at Tennessee's offense over the last 50 years, you can spot the claw fence on that on that uh, line graph from a mile away. I mean, it is the worst offense 
in in Tennessee in the last fifty years by miles and miles and miles. R- right. Yes. But but but, took, the, took but the, time. Yes. Right. But but the point is that it was t- it's terrible in the first year, um, but gets better. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, Cheney, same thing. Uh, more. So, I mean, we wrote this in the magazine in the offseason. Obviously, uh, he's he's been uh, fine in his first year, other places, and then got much better in in year two. Uh, that sort of stuff. Uh, Shoop has been great everywhere else he's been. Right. Uh, Monty about- Kiffin, same same thing. I mean, just struggled at, U- at USC for the same reason everybody struggled because they had all those sanctions and and that sort of thing. Mike DeBoard. Uh, well, DeBoard, listen. Uh, some of that goes back to Butch Jones. Uh, regardless of what you think about the offense in 2015, in November of 16, Tennessee had the best offense in college football, statistically the best offense in college football because their D was banged up and Shoop wasn't a good fit. And, you know, we're winning those games against Missouri and Kentucky scoring 50 and 63 points. Uh, so when when they wanted to, and Jalen Hurd was off the team by that point, and so maybe that had something to do with it too, but – yeah, I mean, DeBoard, DeBoard and Josh Dobbs were running the best offense in college football. That, that you know, if Tennessee doesn't blow the South Carolina game, Dobbs is a dark horse Heisman candidate uh, for, for what he's doing there in November. So that worked at Tennessee, right. uh, not, not just uh, other places. And before that, DeBoard was an old-school 90s, you know, Michigan offensive guy that, that, you know, won a national championship there. That certainly worked for him, too. Okay. So, would it have been better if these guys would have been around longer? Uh, I think, well, I think as we're talking about in the present, I think you make the Tyson Helton for Jim Chaney trade every time. Yeah. Uh, Not just whatever you feel about Helton. That, I mean, he's a head coach now, you know, and... That's not a that's not a factor you have to worry about with Cheney. So I think you make that particular trade uh, anytime. Uh, Justin Wilcox is a head coach now, uh, the only undefeated team left in the Pac-12, the Cal Bears. So um, yeah, I, I think for all of those guys, with the exception of Sal Sinceri. Yeah, where is uh, he? What's he doing? He's he's on. I, he's he's doing a remake of the Flintstones. I do not care to know whatever it is. I, I do not wish to know. Uh, and I, and Larry Scott, um, you know, interim coach at Miami. I, I, I wonder how much of that ship was already sinking at the start of 2017 with Butch Jones. Um, it's a miracle. Tennessee beat Georgia tech in, in that first game statistically, a, a, a not much chance to win that game and Tennessee won it anyway. Um, so I'm not sure about him. We would need to see a larger sample size and a better situation, but overall, I mean, yeah, you, you can argue, look had Tennessee, uh, I, again, uh, I don't know the full circumstances around John Jancic, not being Tennessee's defensive coordinator anymore, but Hey, you, if, if you had Jancic in 16, do you give up all those points and yards to Texas A&M? Uh, I'm not sure that you do. So yeah, I think continuity when it is available, um, is, is a benefit. Yeah. Uh, and I would be curious to compare what I'd like to do with that list is compare it to other programs, not Alabama, but other programs in the SEC and see what kind of coordinator play caller turnover has there been in the last decade, other places too. Yeah. So my hypothesis is that we just need some continuity for the next like two to three years. 
even if it gets bad and feels bad for a couple of years. Um, I don't know whether the data is going to support that. It seems like it will, though. So, anyway, that's that's sort of where I'm headed, unless the data just says I can't go there. Well, and I, I mean, that's the if you're looking for what's the best argument for Jeremy Pruitt, I, I mean, that's kind of it, right? Uh, yeah, but it's and not, I think a bad argument. Yeah, except that all the focus is always on the head coach. Got to get rid of the head coach, you know. Yeah. And and we don't. As we've said, I think every episode of, of the past, you know, five episodes, um, coordinator continuity is probably more important than we really give it credit for. All right. So we've we've already talked about uh, Jonathan Crompton. Uh, and I was hoping maybe you could fill in some gaps there. But before we get to that, I just wanted to say I'm super impressed by uh, your memory of all those facts and details. Um, I don't remember any of them until after you say them. So um, I'm afraid to say the word donuts because every time I do, but I will say that uh, I don't think I can remember anything because of all the donuts and headache medicine I've had. And the thing is actually still recording. So donuts must still be a safe word. So anyway, good job remembering all that stuff. Uh, Thank you. I feel like maybe next week during the bye week, we can do like a tour of happier days and remember like things that were better and more exciting because that's the, uh, you know, I remember all that stuff, too. Uh, But, you know, this is this is uh, (laughs) that's why you keep coming back. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, uh, back into the uh, the archives and the memory banks there. Um, Like I said, we've already talked about Crompton, but fill in my gaps there. I'm hoping you can make us feel better on the on the quarterback thing. Uh, Uh. yeah, fill in the gaps on Crompton, and then also uh, talk about Peterman a little bit, if you would. So Crompton, one thing that is important to remember about Crompton, and this is going a little further back, but it, you know, important to remember, in 06, uh, Tennessee is in the top 10 in the first week of November, uh, which is, you know, that that is a benchmark really for this program of, uh, of, of really being in the national conversation. LSU, Jamarcus Russell, and Knoxville, Ainge has a sprained ankle. He starts, but he goes like one of six. He can't play. He's he's not 100%. So they put in Crompton, and they run basically the let's throw it up to Robert Meacham and see what happens offense. Uh, and it almost works. You know, Tennessee almost wins that game. Uh, they do win that game if instant replay exists in 2006 because Russell fumbled on the last drive. Um, but anyway, that was the first look at Crompton was – Hey, almost beat LSU in, in an iconic SEC November football game. Um, then they go to Arkansas, get waxed uh, uh, the, the next week. But then Ainge takes every meaningful snap in 2007. Um, and I think from a fan perspective, <laughs> the infamous fourth quarter against LSU in the 2007 SEC championship game um, makes people a little more fond of the idea of Crompton than they should have been. Uh Ainge comes back with statistically one of the best games of his career, by the way, against Wisconsin in the Outback Bowl. Always that's worth pointing out, too. But anyway, we had these, this short glimpse of Crompton that was so exciting than what he almost did, which is really basically I'm going to throw it up to Robert Meacham and let him do it, that I think that fueled a lot of what it could have been in 2008. And then what you got in 08 right away is 19-41 against UCLA in a crushing loss that had a lot to do with, with bad play calling. Um, and then didn't get any better. I mean, that offense in 08, it, it can't move the ball 
it, it can't get one first down to kick a field goal to beat Auburn uh, in, in 2008 a couple of weeks later in a game that lose, you know, 14 to 12. This is the really, pants offense. Really hurt Fulmer that game, uh, you know, not just losing, but losing in a way that's no fun. And then they bench him and they go to Nick Stevens. Stevens is okay at Georgia, but you still lose by 12, I think. Then everybody gets crushed by Alabama, which, again, remember, that's Alabama's first up year with Saban. That's year two with Saban. So it's the first time you're getting beat by a, a superior Alabama team since, uh, man, I don't know, since since the, 19, the early 1990s. Uh, so um, they play Nick Stevens. Uh, they play B.J. Coleman. He of the firm handshake yes. uh, gets, gets some snaps uh, late in the year. I do remember uh, that. And I think we spent all – off season this is I, I you and I have started working together I've came to Rocky Top Talk right after uh, Kiffin was hired and um, we spent all that off season assuming that Jonathan Crompton could not be the the answer that there it was so bad there had to be somebody else Stevens had to be better um, and it turns out that he wasn't and and one thing about Kiffin I said this on Sports 180 uh, last Friday with, with uh, Josh and Heather those calls for Stevens came back. That UCLA game uh, in Knoxville, Crompton was bad in a game where decent it, – it's like – not exactly like BYU, but uh, decent wins that game easily. But he was bad, and Tennessee lost like 19-15, to 15, and then they took the air out of the ball against the Gators. And, and I remember writing around that time when they lost to Auburn that like, look, Kiffin's not going to change his mind. He's riding with this guy. And this guy is going to turn it over about one and a half times a game. And that's just who he is. And we should just accept that at this point. We've seen enough data. This is who he is, uh, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, still, still to this day, one of the most surprising things that has ever happened at Neyland Stadium, that Georgia game in 09, where all of a sudden he's just a, an NFL quarterback. And Cheney and Kiffin made, gave him only one side of the field to deal with and all that good stuff. Uh, but he, he does that. Then he almost beats Alabama <laughs> the very next game out in Tuscaloosa. And then, you know, they ride the black jerseys. And they're riding a lot of Montario Hardesty, too. But they they're ride the black jerseys to a dominant win over a ranked South Carolina team. And, and they just roll it from there. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that one image of him in that Georgia game it was just completely out of nowhere, but he played himself into the NFL draft in, in six weeks, basically. Um, and so, yeah, I, I that's that's what you're hoping for. Uh, Peterman, no quarterback has ever looked worse at Tennessee than Nathan Peterman ever. Uh, so anyone throwing it out about Jarrett Garantano is either like only seven years old or just like Peterman is, was the worst. Um, and bless his heart. Uh, I said it at the time, I, man, I hope something good happens to that kid, but it ain't happening at Tennessee, but it happened at Pittsburgh. He was with Cheney, uh, for the first year at Pitt, And then he really did well the next year at Pitt when Cheney had, had gone to Georgia. Uh, but Peterman was still at Pittsburgh. I mean, that dude has played in eight NFL games, eight, no quarterback at Tennessee has played other, other than Peyton Manning and Heath Schuler. I don't know how far you got to go back to find a, a Tennessee quarterback that appeared in eight regular season NFL games. That is a bananas statistic. Uh, so yes, it can always be done. Um, Crompton, we had longer and, and more data to believe it wouldn't work than we have with Garantano. 
Peterman looked worse than any. I mean, I don't know what you you would you would have to basically commit mutiny and start playing for the other team to be worse than Peterman was at Tennessee. And that dude has played in more more NFL games regular season than Bray and Clawson and Ainge and Dobbs at this point and all those guys. So who knows? So yeah, is it possible? Always. We've seen it twice in the last uh, 12 years here, last 10 years. But um, I don't know. I, I, I'm hopeful, but uh, it seems like Garantano is getting worse. Whereas Peterman was always, <laughs> Peterman was always that way. Uh, and Crompton at least had the initial flash, fair or unfair, aided by a great wide receiver or not. And he wasn't as bad the first six weeks of 2009 as he was in the claw fence. Garantano seems like he's getting worse and, and like big worse uh, with the mental mistakes and that sort of stuff. So I don't, I don't know if that is a helpful comparison or not. I'm going to assume that it is because that's what I want to assume. Sure. Yeah. I'm going to water the bamboo is what I'm going to do. Just get it all out there. Yeah. Let's get all the, <laughs> all the old guys, all the metaphors out there. Yes. Just keep watering the bamboo and eventually it will sprout and uh, we'll have Garantano in the NFL in six weeks as well. Yeah. That's, that's the plan. Um, before we wrap up, um, have you seen the stupid thing from Yahoo about Fulmer? Yeah. Uh, that, that's I, just I, nonsense, isn't it? Yeah, I don't I, – well, I'm not listening to Pete Thamel about what's actually happening in Tennessee over anybody. Uh, one of my least favorite things, uh, again, is people that have run a, a fan-centric Tennessee website for more than a decade. Thamel's got a line in there that's like, many fans are now apathetic about whatever like you he's an actual journalist we we are fans with a keyboard uh he's credentialed media which fans how many how do you know where where is it coming from we just put eighty thousand people in the stands for chattanooga who are these people that are actually actively calling for pruitt's job right at this second that have any kind of representation to constitute many so yeah i mean I, i took it as uh that dude has has got some issues with Tennessee uh, from from the past, and uh, I would not I, he would not be at the top of my list of trustworthy uh, folks to to have their finger on the pulse of what's happening at Tennessee. Um, and and sometimes we say that when the news is things that we don't want. Uh, I'm sure there is a percentage of the fan base that would love for Philip Fulmer to to you know take the field uh, against Georgia here in, in a couple of weeks. But I don't, I, I, I just, I do not look at that as there's no reason to believe that that is an accurate understanding of what's happening. Andy Staples, who uh, at the athletic, who I feel like is much more connected to what's actually happening at Tennessee is the one who wrote the piece on you're going to have to be patient right now. And like for a while and let it be bad and let it be Pruitt and let it be bad. And that's the only way out of this mess. That to me is a much, much, much more realistic take on uh, what's happening at Tennessee right now. So I, I didn't become a fan until I got on campus for law school in '96. So I did not live through the whole changeover from Majors to Fulmer. But with that perspective, it seems terribly unfair to me to say that Fulmer has a reputation of being a backstabber. I know the story, 
but you lived through it. You saw it. Is is there any is, is that a fair characterization of what happened? Uh, well, listen, I got to, you know, the caveat on all this is I was 11 years old, so I can't give you, I can tell you what happened in the games. Um, but I can't give you the full, like behind the scenes stuff uh, other than to say, um, the timing was incredibly unfair for Johnny majors who won the sec in 85, 89 and 90. And then in 91 had the miracle at South bend, um, and just the, uh, the the timing of his heart surgery, Fulmer coming in and and to his absolute credit, beating Georgia at Georgia and then stomping Florida 31 to 14 in that rainstorm, um, made majors come back quickly. And in the games they lost, they they lost as a huge favorite uh, against Arkansas when they were ranked third in the country, which is the um, right behind the he. Georgia State, Wyoming, Memphis list of the worst losses Tennessee has suffered as a favorite. That Arkansas game is fourth uh, on that list. So a, a crushing loss uh, there by one point. Then the next week they lost to Alabama 17-10. to 10. Alabama won the national championship that year. So they lost by a touchdown to the national champions. And then they went to South Carolina uh, and scored and went for two because they weren't playing for the tie. They were playing for the win and they didn't get it and they lost by one. But some of it was that was the first year Arkansas and South Carolina were in the SEC. And they were teams that you expect to beat, much the way we thought we'd be beating Missouri around all the time uh, right now, and that hasn't been happening. Uh, and so you're at a point where um, Fulmer was the hottest commodity. Uh, here's where I'm getting into guesswork and fuzzy memory because I was only 11. But Fulmer was obviously a hot commodity. Fulmer wanted the job, obviously. And as many rumors as you will find about Fulmer backstabbing you'll find just as many uh, unsavory things about Johnny Majors uh, at that time and his behavior at, at some, um, just his relationships with people and his behavior that might have turned uh, a little bit during that process. So uh, I think there is there is plenty of blame to go around. Super unfair timing-wise uh, for, for Majors. But uh, the thing about Fulmer is when that happened, Tennessee the next year uh, – you know, doesn't lose to Alabama. They tie Alabama. They lose that Florida by a touchdown. Schuler comes in second in the Heisman. Um, and then they, you know, Peyton Manning is a freshman the next year after that. So there was no point in there where nothing happened with Fulmer where you said we never should have fired Majors. I mean, that just didn't happen. Fulmer couldn't beat Florida, but Majors couldn't beat Alabama. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there was never any – there was never a reason to go back and say we shouldn't have done the thing that we did cemented by Fulmer winning the whole thing in 1998. Yeah. It, it just seems to me that, you know, football is a next man up kind of game, you know, yeah. um, when a guy gets hurt prayers for that guy, um, hope that he does well, but the guy that comes in behind him and fills in for him, he's got to do what he can do. And if he has success, then that's good for the program. And uh, you have to shake it all out later on. Um, it just seems like it was the next man up thing for me. But anyway, um, freestyle, no question. Just anything you want to talk about, anything that I missed, anything you want to say? Most important thing, and I'm saying this a lot, writing it a lot right now, but the, there is a different – in all this history we've gone back and talked about, uh, the least fun times – I think to be a fan and to be a writer about this stuff, the least fun times have been 
for me, uh, the middle of that 2011 season when Bray was hurt and you're getting beat by 31 against LSU, 31 against Alabama, 42 against Arkansas. Like you just knew. I mean, these these teams are are going to take a big beating. Um, and then at the end of uh, Butch's time in 17, same thing. I mean, these, these teams are just going to take a beating. Um, it is important, e- even losing, as we talked about at the start of this, uh, by 31 to the Gators, uh, I appreciate the frustration. I appreciate the idea that they could have done better and they could have played better. Um, I'm, I'm willing to set aside whatever happens against Georgia. I say that now, and I'm sure something really ridiculous will happen, but I'm, I'm willing to set whatever that is aside. Man, it is important. It is important for them to compete with Mississippi State. Important. Um, it uh, And Mississippi State in SP Plus right now is like a 14-point favorite. That's fine. Like 14, fine. We need the ability. Investment is the thing now. Um, Pruitt needs it from his team. Pruitt has to have it from high school seniors and juniors right now. And Tennessee football needs needs it from its fans. But fans, I need to be able to turn the television on, not against Georgia and Alabama. That was true before last week. But in all the other games, I need to turn the TV on and believe that Tennessee has an opportunity to win the game. Uh, so regardless, I mean, from two weeks away, regardless of what happens against Georgia, it is very important to compete against Mississippi State. Uh, because if you can't compete against those guys at home, whew, um, I mean, it, it's it's almost like we're not going to know what to talk about other than uh, firing Pruitt, which I don't think is going to happen this year anyway. So it's just kind of a fatalistic thing of apathy is the only option left. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, maybe you should not let me freestyle with any of these cause it's not, <laughs> it's not uplifting, but that's, that's what I think. All right. Uh, no game this week. So no p- podcast, uh, at the end of the week. Um, also we'll be living real life. Uh, Will's going to be, uh, uh, touring airports. Uh, right. I'll, I'll be watching a little house. Um, you know, Pa will be losing the crops, I'm sure. Uh, but we'll be back uh, next week. Uh, we're going to snap and clear. There's another metaphor for you. Man. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get our minds right uh, heading into the that Georgia game. That made me game. feel so much worse. Like, <laughs> just you saying that, I feel worse now. Oh, no. I'm going to roll out the orange dog next. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's at least supposed to make me feel better. I love Dooley for that. The best. I've, I have said this in the podcast like a dozen times, I know, but I still, from that same 2011 season, I hear him in my head talking about, sick of answering questions about Tyler Bray going, he's got a broken thumb. <laughs> like, stop asking me about whether he can grip the football. He's got a broken thumb. <laughs> so, I just think about that sometimes of like, that's that's kind of where Tennessee is right now. He's got a broken thumb. Got a broken stop thumb. asking his questions. You know, we can't even grip the football right now. So just just let it go. But he's got really good shower etiquette now. Yeah. The orange pants, maybe they'll make an appearance. It'll give us something better to talk about. Yeah. All right. So we'll we'll have uh, all the regular stuff up, um, including through the bye week. Uh, Appreciate everybody listening. Uh, If you can, please give us a rating. Give us a review. Bonus points if you include the secret phrase. What's 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 another uh, Butch Jones uh, 
Uh, I mean, what do you want? Champions of Life, five, five star hearts, sixty three efforts. All right, I'm not going with any of that because that just that all made way. me sick to my stomach. So uh, yeah, you feel worse, don't you? Yeah. yeah. All right, the secret phrase is "died with a toothache in his heel," uh, from Old Dan Tucker. All right, so for Will Shelton, I'm Joel Hollingsworth. This has been the Game Day on Rocky Top podcast. I don't know that word. It's a little house on the prairie. It is. It's Pastor uh, Edwards. in a frying pan, um, combed his hair with a wagon wheel, died with a toothache in his heel. So, yeah, if you, if you don't know Little House, you got to watch Little House, man. I, I know the gist, but I have not, you know, ever sat down and watched it uh, with intent or purpose. See, I, I joke that that's really how I uh, received all of my moral instruction in my childhood, but it's actually true. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of good stuff in that.